The series is called The Best Things in Life are Free, The Values That Guide Us to Greater Freedom. And we prize freedom. As Americans especially, we really prize freedom. But do we always appreciate the design that leads to greater freedom? We don't always. A lot of times we think of it as, especially as Americans, we think of individual autonomy or individual freedom apart from everyone else as defining freedom. Today we're going to be looking at a passage that talks about lust, but I want you to relax. We're really looking at that as a way of, of disciplining our minds in order to, to think relationship, not to think just about ourselves. See, we want greater freedom, but we need that kite string of discipline. That's, that's what leads to a greater to be tied to God's design is to be tied to relationship, even in our thought life. So what does it look like to have a disciplined thought life? From the Word of God, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. Hear God's Word this morning. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully with intent to lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is God's word. Let us pray. God, bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to believe it and receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. In this room several years ago, we had a luncheon for older adults, and there were some door prizes. And the door prizes went to people with uh, little stickers, little teddy bears. There were boy teddy bears and girl teddy bears. And um, the, the person giving away the door prize from the front said, well, if you have a boy teddy bear, then you win this next prize. And one of our older adults leaned over and looked really closely at it, and he said, how can you tell? <laughs> okay. All right, so talking about sex, talking about lust can lead to some funny moments. It can also lead to some awkward moments or even some fearful moments. You know, the church is sort of notorious that in certain phases and seasons of across church history, people have used fear to guide rather than vision. Today we're talking about vision. Jesus isn't so much saying that, that human sexuality and that passion, even passionate thoughts, are not a dark forest to avoid, but more a garden to water, a garden to tend. So let's take a look at how your thought life, you know, Lust is just an example of, of a thought life kind of gone awry. Okay? This also can, also can apply to envy or to greed. And so let's take a look at what it takes to tend that garden. We need to understand what it looks like to have a, a disciplined thought life. And that means you need to water it, you need to weed it, and you need to wait. First, to have a disciplined thought life, to to have the kind of, 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 of thought life that leads to greater freedom is to water relationships. It's, it's, to, 
it's to treat people as people and not as objects. It's, it's to recognize that when we're treating people well, we actually are functioning within the banks of the river. We're, we're tied. When we're, when we're treating people as people and not as objects, we actually soar. Let me give you an example of this. There was a husband that I knew of many years ago who uh, was having trouble getting along with his wife. And it was usually in the same moment. It was almost this repeat performance. At the end of the day, they weren't getting along. And he kept trying to follow the rules, right? He kept trying to say, well, if I just do what she wants me to do, then she'll be happy and I'll be happy. And what he needed to do was say, look, I'm really having trouble uh, talking with you at the end of the day because I, I, I'm stressed out. And when he finally admitted that, when he, was finally, when he finally took the risk and was vulnerable, they made a decision together that he was going to go and work out between uh, work and home. Now, that worked for them. That was their particular timing issue. That was their particular issue. But, but do you see the pivot point was this, when, when he stopped treating her like a vending machine. Oh, if I can put in the right code at the end of the day, if I can just sort of give her the right uh, signals and, and, and just try to participate, you know, just follow these rules of what she wants, then she'll be happy and I'll be happy. Well, he's objectifying her, you see? Yeah, maybe he's trying to do what, what, what she wants to do and not what he wants to do, but he's not really being honest. He's not really being honest with himself, and he's treating her like this vending machine that has a certain code, and, and if he just gets that code right, then everybody's going to be happy. Instead, he treated her as a person. He took the risk. He was vulnerable. He said, look, this is the problem that I'm having, and as a result, they began to find greater freedom to relate to each other as themselves. See, this is what, what God is getting at when he says, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you, verse 27, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. He's saying, look, having a relationship with, with God is not a matter of just having the right legal code, the right vending machine code. If I just do what God wants, then he'll do what I want. You know, a lot of times that's emotionally, that's, that's, that's why we're obeying or that's why we're disciplining our thoughts. And we try to relate to God only through the rules and we, we miss, we miss treating God on a personal level in relationship. We, we miss treating him as a person and relating to him under his authority. You see, if we're going to relate well to God, we need to be under his authority. You've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. Not just to follow that as a rule, but to recognize the purpose of the rule is to help us relate well to God. It brings order. It's a little like this. I've, I've seen, um, you know, over the years when I've worked with families and worked with kids, their households where the kids are in charge, they're very young, and parents just, they're tired, and they just say, look, whatever the kids want, the kids get. And their hope is that everyone will be happy by just allowing that to happen but that's not real uh, th they're not really recognizing what children need they need structure they need guidance they need a yes they need a no they need consequences it secures them you know when you give children too much freedom too soon too much autonomy too soon you know some of this comes from a school of thought that says oh we don't want to stifle kids creativity we don't want to stifle their freedom 
it's a it's a it's a particular philosophy about about humanity that's wrong it's off kids thrive in the structure of authority so do we you know, a lot of times we make bids for power and we try to have too much of the kind of freedom that has become almost an idol it really has become an idol in America the real American idol is personal autonomy like you don't tell me what to do nobody tells me what to do I make my own decisions independent of everyone else that's 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 the idol of our age you know the woman at the well that Jesus in, encountered in in the early part of John it, it, she had been functioning this way she she thought that if he if she just sort of uh, treated men as as protectors and gave them what what they wanted from her that this exchange this sort of almost consumer transaction men want some a certain thing and 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 women want something else that somehow that was going to lead her to greater freedom that she could write her own rules that that she could have life the way she wanted to and it wasn't working <laughs> over a series of five different men and here Jesus is saying look you know don't don't pursue God just in terms of the rules relate well to God under authority and there was this there's this aha moment where she realizes that's still possible for me even with all of my mistakes and when she embraces that fact that that, that we're supposed to not just treat God as a vending machine with the right code the right rules the right behaviors but to, to, to recognize the rules guide us to relate well to him she had this breakthrough and we see the opposite in the 1960s we see this idea of free love we see a culture shift a major culture shift and w there's this separating out of human sexuality it's to say well we're gonna have it on our own terms we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna sort of pull on the thread of this sweater and, and not expect the rest of the sweater to get messed up you know when you pull on a thread one thread of a sweater and you think I'm just gonna get rid of this I'm gonna pull this off and break it sometimes you you ruin it, you know you can unravel the whole thing or you can create this this big mess you see our, our sexuality our even our thought life is tied into something bigger it's tied into relationships that are designed to function a certain way and going back to the garden illustration what, what God is saying is treat people as people not as vending machines not not the rules just to follow in order to get a certain thing but treat people as people water that garden and find greater freedom within the principles of relating well that's the first thing so in order to find that freedom in order to guide your thoughts we have to water that garden of treating people as people but not only that we have to we have to refrain from things we have to restrict other thoughts that lead to objectifying people in other words we need to weed our garden <laughs> there are certain thoughts that that don't belong there and we need to be active at proactive in turning from those thoughts and towards other thoughts in other words we need to recognize that the thoughts have the seed themselves of things that we don't want in our garden we need to weed you know the other day uh, as an example of just kind of weeding out thoughts and how difficult that is I walked in the kitchen and Beth had made this pound cake my wife Beth had made this beautiful golden pound cake 
and it, the, the smell of the, the sort of the caramelized uh, sugars uh, was wafting through the room. And, um, and, and I, I, I discovered that this, I was not going to be able to have anything to do with this pound cake, and it wasn't going to have anything to do with me. And I'd already committed ingestion in my heart, okay? So this is what Jesus is saying. It's saying, look, if you, if you just look at someone lustfully, or if you envy or you're greed, if, if the thought is there, then the seeds of the very act are present. And he's saying, he's saying um, you know, cut your eye out, cut your hand off if it causes you to sin. Is he saying literally do that? What he's saying is he's using this hyperbole. He's trying to get attention on something. What is that? He's saying, look, I need you to, to see how severe this is. That you need to recognize that the thoughts themselves are not really hidden. That that the very act is in the thought, you know. And I know it's difficult. It's difficult to, to weed our garden. It's difficult to turn away from those thoughts. You know, th- there's this thing called the ironic process theory, and you use a pink elephant. Look, what if I just told you, don't think about a pink elephant for the next five seconds. All right, ready? Go. Don't th- don't think about a p- pink elephant. You know, ironically, you're going to have a very difficult time think, not thinking about that pink elephant. I had a difficult time not thinking about that pound cake that was, that was going to be for somebody else. So what do we do? You know, it said you can't keep the birds from flying overhead, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. Well, here's what you do. You, you recognize how serious this is, but you also recognize that Jesus is using hyperbolic language in order to get us to see how serious it is. You don't deal with it by just cutting your eye out or cutting your hand off. You deal with it by recognizing something else he said in Mark 7, 21. He says, it's what comes out of our heart that corrupts us. It's not that what goes into a person, but what comes out of our heart. So, so we have to ask ourselves then, if we're going to weed our garden, what are you rehearsing? What we rehearse over and over in our minds creates a strength it creates an ability are you building strength around the right things you know, I had a friend who wanted to be a he wanted to make the varsity basketball team when he was young and I, I remember he, he used to shoot a hundred uh, foul shots a day before breakfast he was rehearsing something over and over again when you when you have that body of material and the exam is coming next week you rehearse it over and over again it it allows you to get to that test and when the moment comes you've got it it's there in the same way People don't wake up one day and decide to commit adultery. They don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'll commit adultery today. It's the result of a thousand rehearsals. It's the result of fewer than that, actually. That's what Jesus is saying with this. Take this so seriously that you would cut your eye out. Take this so seriously that, that you see the, the stark image he puts on how much the reality of the act is in the thought. So be proactive. So what do I do? Specifically, what do you do? If you're married and, you know, the, the proverbial pound cake is in the room, just wafting through the room, and you're trying not to think of the pink elephant, right? What do you do? Rehearse your story. What's the early part? If you're married, what's the early part of your relationship? What's, what's the first time you met? What's the first date you went on? What's, what's that season look like? What are those key memories and those, those core experiences that you've had and Rehearse those again and again and again. 
Rehearse your story when the birds fly overhead. You keep them from nesting in your hair. If you're unmarried, you pray for your spouse. If you can understand what I'm saying, your spouse is out there alive. If you're, if you're called to be married, then pray for your spouse. You know? I know there's some uncertainty about it, but, but pray for it anyway. You know, their heart is beating, right? Think of that fact that, that your spouse, if you're unmarried, you're, their heart is beating. And if you're having trouble disciplining your mind, recognize that one day you may be married and, and need to be focused on that person. If you're dealing with greed, what do you do? Well, consider giving to something, a cause. Consider giving to someone who is in need more than you are. If you're envious, maybe take initiative and compliment someone or, or support them in some way. You see, you turn into those torpedoes. You, you, you weed the garden. You root out those thoughts, even though it's difficult not to think about it. You don't just turn away from the dark forest. You turn to weed that garden. You turn to nurture those thoughts that are good for you. But finally this, not only, uh, not only do we, are we called to, to, to water healthy relationships by treating people as people and to weed out those thoughts that tend to move towards objectifying people, we need to, to wait, to learn how to wait. To be in a posture, in other words, it comes down to this, of dependence. Dependence and vulnerability and risk you see, we, it's counterintuitive. <laughs> we wouldn't guess, but that's where greater freedom lies. This, this cult of autonomy, of personal autonomy, of each person as an island, of not needing someone else, or ordering everyone around ourselves. This is what Jesus is saying is the personal hell that we create for ourselves. And ultimately, I think it's not a, it's not a bad way of thinking about what hell really is. I know it's a disturbing thought that some people would go to hell, but... But I think what, what, what Jesus is saying is God doesn't send people hell to hell so much as they send themselves. See, if, we, if, if our decision again and again is to objectify people and have them relate to us only on our own terms, unwilling to depend on people, unwilling to wait and let God nurture relationships, unwilling to trust God in our relationships, unwilling to trust each other, you will shrink and shrink. One of my favorite authors has a, a book called The Great Divorce that, 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 that depicts heaven and hell in a parable, in this visual. And at one point in this book, it, it shows Napoleon in hell. And what he's doing is through his pride and envy and lust and jealousy, he is continuing even there in that place, even with a great invitation for him to connect with people, to connect with God again. He's continuing to choose me myself and I. And he shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. See, we need to understand that we're made for freedom, yes, but we're made for a certain kind of freedom, a yoked freedom, a dependence or an interdependence. It's a little like, like this illustration. To, to see freedom within these constraints is, is like this, this story I told you many years ago of school children that were in a schoolyard and they were uh, they were given balls and bats and all kinds of toys to go out into the, into the schoolyard and play. But uh, instead of going out into that, the field, uh, dozens of different experiments across the United States, most of them hovered within about 25 yards of the building. 
And then time and time again, they would build a fence about 100 yards out, and they'd repeat the experiment, and invariably, students would make their way and spread out into that, that space. You see, the fence restricted them or, or, or defined for them the space. It, it, it kept them from having the freedom to roam, but it gave them the freedom to thrive. You know, it's kind of a quality over quantity. How are you depending? And is even your efforts for equality, let's say, in discussions or thoughts about how we're going to have a more just and equitable society, does that go in the direction of personal autonomy or does that go in the direction of relationship? You know, this past week, we've, uh, as a nation, we've celebrated a, a person that has been uh, that has been recognized for his role in the civil rights movement, John Lewis. And you know, John Lewis really took a beating for the sake of the greater good, literally served the greater good. You know, when he was on that Alabama bridge, what I see in that whole scene and in that the bright side of the civil rights movement that I think in some ways has, has taken a turn, uh, I see someone who is saying, I am putting myself on the line to serve the cause of justice and the cause of greater equality. But he wasn't doing it for personal gratification, for immediate gratification. He wasn't saying, I want greater freedom for me. You see, this is the same kind of principle that Jesus is calling us to here, not to have everyone serve us on our own terms, even in terms of equality. I'm hearing today voices, black and white, striving for a more just and equitable society, but in a way that, that doesn't serve the greater good, but in a way that seeks something for self. It, Jesus uh, demonstrates for us that he uses his great power for good. He uses his great freedom for good. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. You see the exchange. Here's someone who had it all. Here's someone who had all power. Who's, here's someone who had all freedom. And what was he doing with it? What was he demonstrating that that power and privilege and freedom is for? It's to help us connect. It's not to get more for ourselves. It's not to accumulate. It's not to have an agenda, even in terms of equality, that says, more for me. But it has a bigger picture. It has a greater good in mind. It doesn't act just for the part, but it makes room for the whole. And Jesus invites us to greater freedom. He does it by demonstrating how connected we are. He recognizes that that we're prone to wander, and one of the ways we wander is to treat God as an object, a vending machine, and we think of even the rules and behavior as punching in a code to get what we want. Instead, we need to treat Him as God. Same with people. We need to even weed out those very thoughts that lead to objectifying people, and we need to be able to wait and recognize we're made for relationship, made for interdependence, and in waiting, we recognize that God has a role God has a role in justice. God has a role in equality and equity. And so we serve that greater good. Let's pray together.
Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your demonstration of freedom to serve us. And we thank you for your call that makes us a part of that bigger purpose. God, give us the vision, not just to turn away from those thoughts that plague us, from the pink elephant and the pound cakes, but Lord, to recognize that we've, we've got a great vision to turn towards, towards the greater good. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.